worship the Lord through hearing his word. If you have a Bible with you this morning, our scripture passage comes from James chapter 4, verses 1 through 10. The scripture will also be projected on the screen behind me and the monitors located at the pillars around the room. James chapter 4, verses 1 through 10. What causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? You desire and do not have, so you murder. You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. You ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your own passions. You adulterous people, Do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Or do you suppose it is to no purpose that the scripture says, He yearns jealousy over the spirit that he has made to dwell in us, but he gives more grace. Therefore, it says, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be wretched and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord. And he will exalt you. Oh Lord, we ask that you... Good news. How's everyone doing? Alright. It's kind of hot, so bear with me. I'm kind of hot up here too. Um, so, my name is Akira. Just in case you didn't know. Um, I'm from Japan. I grew up in Japan. Graduated high school in Japan. And came over to the States in 2008. I just mentioned I graduated high school in Japan. So cool kids in high school, they usually have bleached hair, spiky hair, and they usually skip classes about twice a day and go to the park and smoke cigarettes. When I started attending high school, I wanted to become one of those cool kids, so I started hanging out with those, those kids. So I had bleached hair, and I had spiky hair as well. And I was smoking cigarettes for a little bit. Miraculously, the Lord helped me to quit that when I was 18. Smoking age in Japan is 18. I quit when I was 18, um, <laughs> after I came to really know the Lord. My point is this. All of us, all of my friends, cool kids, we were all loud and obnoxious, and you could have seen or spotted any of us anywhere at our school. Like, there's a bleached hair guy. He must be one of those wannabe cool kids. There's a loud and obnoxious group. He must be one of them. My point is this. If you are friends with someone, or certain friendships will come with certain characteristics. And today, in this passage, James 4, 1 to 10, James is going to talk about two different friendships that come with different characteristics. 
first one is our friendship with the world. I will be repeating this, but friendship with the world has the characteristics of unchecked worldly passion. I'll say it again. Friendship with the world has the characteristics of unchecked worldly passion. Second one that James talks about here is friendship with God. And friendship with God is characterized by humility before God. I'll say it again. Friendship with God is characterized by humility before God. Where does this passage, James 4, 1 to 10, fit into the context? So, if you remember, remember with me what, what we've been talking about in this series. We talked about hearing and doing the word in chapter 1. We also talked about mercy triumphing over judgment and partiality. Chapter 2, the second half of chapter 2 talked about genuine faith. I'm going to move this. Genuine faith being accompanied by works. That's what we talked about in chapter 2. Chapter 3, we talked about, Kerwin talked about the danger of the tongue, the controlling our tongue and how dangerous the tongue can be. And Pastor Ralph just talked about the difference between real wisdom, God-given wisdom from above, and false wisdom that is earthly, that is from the devil. Our passage today is going to talk about our friendships with the world and God, but the first part of it connects really well to where chapter 3 left out. James just talked about controlling the tongue. Now James is talking about people who who are having quarrels and fights. James just talked about the difference between worldly wisdom and God-given wisdom that makes peace. Now he's talking about people who are disrupting the peace in the church. That's how this passage today is going to fit in the context. So before we jump right in to the passage, ball with me, let's pray. Dear we come to you today at this moment as we open your word together we come under your authority we come before you in humility asking you to open up our hearts and help us to be honest with what we are going through so you can speak to us and we can be humble before you cleanse my mouth as I speak speak through me pray this in your name Amen All right, you have your Bibles out or your smartphones out with Bibles in it. Let's read chapter 4, verse 1 together. I'm going to read it. What causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? You notice that James is using the word you as he talks about the fights and quarrels that's happening. He's not just talking about, there are fights and quarrels in the world. Those people are bad. No, he's saying fights and quarrels are happening among you. Talking about us. In the church, there are fights and quarrels. 
James is not saying, out there there are fights and quarrels. James is saying, we have fights and quarrels. We have that in the church. We have that in our families. We have that in our workplaces. We have that in some ministries. And James is asking, what causes that? And he says, it's the passion within us. So what, kind, what, what is he talking about when he says the passion within us? If you actually look at um, James, the book of James, and other general epistles, which should be read together, if you look at them, there are a bunch of words that are in the same word group as passions, like desires, passions, sensual pleasure, something like that. So we will, we will track them and see how prominent this theme of uncontrolled passion is. And it will actually help us to see what it looks like. Okay? So James, we'll, we'll go to James 1.14 to 15. He mentioned that a person is tempted by his own desire. And that desire gives birth to sin, and it leads to sin. Uh, it leads to death. That's James 1, 14 to 15. And he also, he's also mentioning uncontrolled passions causing quarrels and fights among us right now. If we look at Peter, 1 Peter 2, 11, Peter urges his readers to abstain from passions. He says that they wage war and they corrupt our souls. There was a theme of corruption earlier in the book of James as well, if you remember. Also, in 2 Peter 1.4, he mentions that corruption is in the world, and that corruption is because of sinful desires. Also, John says in 1 John 2.16, that desires of the flesh, desires of the eyes, and pride of life are not from God, but they're from the world. You see how prominent this theme of desire and passions is? James is saying, this is not funny, guys. This is, this is the desire that we have. It corrupts us. It causes fights and quarrels among us. When we try to be like people of the world, when we have friendship with the world, our lives will be characterized by uncontrolled, unchecked, worldly desires. But what exactly does James say they look like in this passage? That's what we're going to look at. Let's move on to verse 2 and 3. I'm going to read. You desire and you do not have, so you murder. You covet and you cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. You ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your own passions. So there are four main sentences in, this, in these two verses. And he's basically dividing them up into two. There are two different conflicts going on. First one is conflicts between people. Conflicts between me and you. I don't know why I'm looking at here. Um, <laughs> he says, you want something, but you can't have it, so you murder. I'm not really sure if there was 
a culture of murder going on in the church that James was writing to. He doesn't mention any more about murder, so I don't think so. But he is saying that it's a serious thing. He just say that desire leads to sin and sin leads to death. How does that come about? Some of them is murder. Desire leads to sin and it leads to death. So our uncontrolled, unchecked worldly passion can lead to murder. I mean, look at, look at things happening in the world. People of the world. How many times do we hear about someone being killed on the streets of Chicago? It shows where our unchecked worldly passions can lead to. The second one he talks about is coveting. Coveting something is basically wanting something that's not yours but belongs to someone else. Because you have something that I don't have and I can't have it, I'm mad at you. That's coveting and I want it. That's, that's, the, that's the jealousy that he just talked about in chapter 3. So these these two sentences are basically talking about our conflicts with each other. And he's making the case that if we have conflicts with other people, if you have conflicts with your spouse, if you have conflicts with your friends, with your co-workers, even with your kids, in your office, there might be I'm not going to say there might be. There is a problem in your relationship with the Lord. That's what James is going to be talking about. So first one is conflicts between people. Second one is conflicts or problem in relationship with God. He says, you do not have because you don't ask. You ask and you do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your own passions. First, James says, you have to ask for it. You have to ask God for what you want. But at the same time, he doesn't say, no, I'm not saying you can ask for anything. Like a five-year-old boy who just learned to pray and says, I want every kid in the world to have a swing in the backyard. That's not really going to happen because he's wanting a swing in his own backyard too. And then that's not something that is coming from his desire to see God being glorified. He says, you don't get what you ask for from God because you are asking for it to spend it on your own passions. Here comes the passions again. Here I want to pause a little bit with you guys and think are we are we treating God in our prayer lives I'm glad if you guys have prayer life but are we treating God like a cosmic vending machine are we seeing God as the means to an end of our own pleasure or are we seeing God his person as the ultimate end.
if we are coming to God only because we want some earthly pleasure for our passions, your prayer life is not going to improve and you're not going to get that something you're asking for. Because we exist for His glory and we exist to be intimate with God. I'm going to ask you again. Are we treating God like a cosmic vending machine? Is God means to an end? Or is His person the ultimate end? Good News Bible Church, this is really important for us to know and live this way to see God as the only unchangeable source of security, significance, and joy. No one else will do. Nothing else will do. So if we are treating God as a cosmic vending machine, there's a problem in your relationship with God. So this section that we just talked about in these three verses, we looked and learned that friendship with the world is characterized by uncontrolled worldly passions. Because they are uncontrolled, because they are unchecked, we will fight with other people. Because they are unchecked, our passions are leading us to pray to God in a way that we are just trying to get something out of God instead of God himself. Let's move on to verse 4. You adulterous people, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. James has been calling his readers, my brothers, brothers and sisters, this and this and that. Now he comes and just goes, bam, you adulterous people. That's kind of harsh, I think. I, but what he's trying to do is really get our attention with what he's about to say. Adulterous people, what does he mean by that? What, were there adultery going on in the church? Possibly, but he doesn't really go down that path. The word he uses for adulterous people is actually in the feminine gender in the word. When he uses a feminine form of adulterous people, he's basically saying, you bunch of adulteresses. Is that the right word? Yeah. You bunch of adulteresses. And by saying that, he's trying to remind us of the imagery that is in the Old Testament. You remember the book of Hosea? Hosea is told by the Lord to go marry that adulteress and haul up. To show that God is still faithful even though Israel was unfaithful to him. So by calling us a bunch of adulteresses, he's trying to remind us that you have to be faithful to God, but you are not, so you are being unfaithful. You are not, so you are adulteresses. He wants us to hear what he's going to say with that mindset. We are unfaithful people. 
in our relationship with the Lord. What does he say? He says, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? You can't just do both. By the way, I was watching the Cubs game, not really watching, following the Cubs game on MLB.com yesterday. We won like, what, 14 in the last 15 games? Something like that? We are like really on a hot streak. Yeah, there are some hardcore, you know, diehard Cubs fans in this church. But at the same time, I know that there are Sox fans here too. And as soon as I mentioned the word Cubs, Robert was cringing. Why? Because you cannot be a diehard Cubs fan and be a diehard Sox fan at the same time. It just doesn't work that way. Also, when Kerry was announcing that there was going to be a Bears shirt, Bears jersey for the drawing, some of the Packer fans are like, I'm not buying that ticket. I don't want it. It just doesn't work that way. You can be a Packer fan and root for Jay Cutler. No. I mean, yeah. Okay. But here's the thing. You cannot be both. You can be a friend of the world and still say, yeah, I'm, I'm a friend of God. And sing that song, I'm a friend of God, he calls me friend. If, if you are living as a friend of the world, you are in enmity with God. And James really wants us to know that. It just doesn't work that way. You can't be having conflicts with other people. You can't be treating God as a cosmic vending machine and still come to him and say, hey, my friend. No, 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 no. It doesn't work that way. You're a friend of the world. That's what James is trying to say. We learned that our friendship with the world is characterized by unchecked worldly passions. Here in this passage, he's saying, friendship with the world and friendship with God cannot coexist. So what are we to do? James keeps going on saying, or it's verse 5, or do you suppose it is to no purpose, no purpose that scripture says he yearns jealously over the spirit that he has made to dwell in us? You're not the only one if you didn't really understand what he was trying to say. Because I didn't. I'm like, what, what is he talking about? There's, what passage is he even quoting? He's not really quoting a specific verse in the Bible, but he's quoting the Bible as a whole, the Old Testament, the biblical principle. Many times in the Old Testament, God introduces himself as the jealous God. What is he yearning for? He said, it says, he yearns jealously over the spirit that he has made to dwell in us. It's not the Holy Spirit that James is talking about here. He's talking about that spirit that he breathed into Adam in the creation account. By breathing that spirit, we received souls. We became living beings. So when it says that God is a jealous God who is yearning 
for our souls, that means God wants our undivided attention. And God needs us to be totally committed to Him in our relationship. 100%. I'm going to say it again, just, just so you will just have to chew over it. God needs our undivided attention. We need to be totally committed to Him. Because He's a jealous God. His holy jealousy is not going to say, okay, if you are a little bit of a friend with the world. He's not going to say that. Reading this verse is making me feel uneasy because I know that I can be like a five-year-old in front of Sarah sometimes. I know that I have conflicts with other people. I know how I pray. But God needs our 100% total commitment. If you're uneasy, good, because verse 6 is going to give us a little bit of comfort. Verse 6, but he gives more grace. Therefore, it says, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Why do we need grace? Because we cannot possibly, with our own human effort, be committed 100% to God. No matter how hard you try, if you are not relying on the Lord, if you are not relying on the Holy Spirit who is in us, we're not going to be able to do it. But God gives us more grace than our flaws. He is the one who helps us in our relationship with Him. He is the one whom we have to go and say, God, I need the love to love you. It's okay to pray that. And James here quotes Proverbs, Proverbs 3.34. says, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. The proud person will look like this. Well, I know I need a little bit of help, but I think I'm going to try a little harder. I might be able to do it this week. I might be able to be a better person. I might be able to be 100% committed to God somehow tomorrow. I don't need God's help. I want to try myself. What does God God do regarding that person? He opposes that person. But He gives grace to the humble. If we really come before Him in humility... He will give us grace. He will give us grace so that we can be 100% devoted to Him in our relationship with Him. That's where verses 7 to 10 come in. Verse 7 goes, Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. And verse 10 says, Humble yourselves before God. Those two are not exactly the same words, but they're basically making a bookend, saying you have to humble yourself, you have to submit yourself before God. And what comes in between these two 
commands is basically a how-to of coming before him in humility. So what does it say? Submit yourselves therefore to God. Verse 7. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Submitting to God means coming under his authority. Submitting to God means being willing to obey him in everything that we do. Submitting to God means coming to him and say, hey, I'm really messed up. I need your help. Submitting to God says, God, I need you in my relationship with you. And the second part of this verse is really closely connected with the first one. It says, resist the devil and he will flee from you. Why are submitting to God and resisting the devil put together really closely? Because when you are coming under God's authority, you're not going to be going under devil's authority. You're going to be resisting his authority if you are completely submitted to God. That's why they're put together. And what happens? He will flee from you. Good News Bible Church, devil is a powerful being. As long as we're trying ourselves, we're not going to be able to resist him or defeat him or overcome him. But John, First John, four, four, John 4 verse 4 says, You have overcome them, talking about the devils and evil spirits. You have overcome them because who is in you is stronger than who is in the world. And we have him inside of us. With his help, we can resist him and he will flee from us. Verse 8, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. When James tells us to draw near, he's not exactly saying draw near to him in worship, which is a good thing to do. But in this context, he's meaning more like draw near to him in repentance. This is a call to repentance. And he calls us with harsh words again. He, he goes, you sinners and you double-minded. He's not trying to accuse us and he's not judging us. He's saying, you have to know that you are a sinner. You have to know that you're double-minded. James just talked about all of us stumbling in many ways in verse uh, chapter 3. We are all sinners, and we are all double-minded people because we try to be friends with both the world and God. We're completely double-minded people. We are sinners. We are hopeless without God. And James wants us to know that. He wants us to know that we are sinners and that we are double-minded and tells us to cleanse our hands and purify our hearts. He's basically saying that 
Yes, we have to come before Him in humility. We have to submit ourselves to God. Knowing that we are sinners. Knowing that we are double-minded. And we have to change our actions. And we have to change our attitudes. That's why he mentions cleansing of the hands and purifying of the hearts. Verse 9. Be wretched and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. James is telling us, so so far in this section, he told us to submit ourselves to God and resist the devil and draw near to him in repentance by changing our actions and hearts. And he, in this verse, is telling us to have genuine godly sorrow over sin. When he says, turn your laughter into gloom, he's basically talking about a laughter as a mark of scornful God-hating worldly people. Those people will hear the news of God's existence and come in judgment and just laugh scornfully. That's the laughter he's talking about. And the joy James is talking about here in this verse is not the joy of the Lord. It's a superficial joy that we receive when we indulge in worldly pleasure. He's telling us to stop laughing at the judgment that's actually going to come. He's saying, stop taking your joy, your pleasure in earthly things, but mourn over your sin. Genuine repentance has to come with genuine godly sorrow. Verse 10 Humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will exalt you. Just as I mentioned above, this command to humble before God and command to submit before God is the book end. But he, just, he doesn't just end there. He says he will exalt you. Our repentance is not going to end in our feeling self-pity, and that's it. Our genuine repentance will lead to God's exalting us. He will comfort us. He will let us, let us. He will let us know that we are forgiven. He will remind us of the cross where Jesus died for our sins. So when we come completely under God's authority and submission, resist the devil, come before Him in repentance, change our hearts change your actions with godly sorrow he will exalt us he will bring comfort to us we have to be preaching the gospel to ourselves every day and that's how we humble ourselves before God and that's how our friendship with God will be characterized humility before God So in this whole passage, we talked about how friendship with the world is characterized by unchecked worldly desires. And we we learned also that friendship with God and friendship with the world just can't go together. And third, we learned 
that friendship with God is characterized by our humility before God. So who do you have friendship with? Is it God or the world? You can't have both. And now I want you guys to actually take up your pen and paper or bulletin or your smartphone and open up that memo function if your phone is smart enough to do that. Write down these two questions. Ready? All right. Question one. How is my relationship with other people? I'll repeat. How is my relationship with other people? That includes co-workers. That includes your kids. That includes your spouses. That includes people in the church. Anyone you come in contact with. How is my relationship with the people? Because if there is a constant conflict between you and other people, your friendship with God is in jeopardy. Question number two. Am I seeking God as means to an end? Or God as the ultimate end? I'll repeat again. Am I seeking God as means to an end or God as the ultimate end? Today, when you go home or after your kids go go to bed tonight, I actually do want you to take out these questions and ask that yourselves. Take five minutes. Just give me five minutes of your day today. Ask these two questions. How is my relationship with other people? Am I treating God? Am I praying to God? Am I seeking God in a way that He is a means to an end or He is the ultimate end? Spoiler alert. You will know that you are sinning. Okay? But I'm asking you to do this because you will know that you need God. And I'm asking you to do this so that you can come to Him in repentance after we ask those questions to yourselves. Ask those questions and come before Him in humility. Why? Because God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Who are your friends with? Let's pray.